first verse of that hymn, which I know many of you know so well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my law thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The writing of that hymn is one of the best known uh, stories of, of, of our hymns. I know many of you have heard that before, but in case you haven't, it was written in 1873 by Horatio Spafford. It was written over, well, it was written during a journey from the United States to Europe where he was crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And the words were written over the place where weeks before his wife and four daughters had been making the same crossing. But in their crossing, their vessel struck another vessel and the ship quickly sank and his four daughters died. And it is over that place of unimaginable to me sorrow and loss that Horatio Spafford wrote those words, when sorrows like sea billows roll, I was taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. And that amazes me, that story. Every time I sing that hymn, I'm amazed by that story of that kind of faith in the midst of, of that kind of tragedy and loss. And it, it challenges me, and I hope in some ways challenges you to, to ask yourself the question, how do we learn to have faith like that? We pray certainly that none of us are ever in that kind of situation. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But we know that life's going to have its moments. How do we find faith, hold faith, become blessed by faith to be able to say in the midst of whatever we experience that it is, it is well? And I don't know that... Horatio Spafford had Psalm 46 in mind when he wrote that hymn, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did, because the, the psalmist in this prayer speaks of a faith in the midst of challenges. And they're, for many of us, very, very familiar words. I'm just going to read a few verses from the beginning and a few verses from the middle. Again, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble, or some of your Bibles may say, in times of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake, quake with their surging. Verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Friends, let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we would find that ever-present help that speaks into our lives in all times, in all places, in all circumstances. And may we, we be open to that to stay. Bless these moments that we gather. And bless us in our faith in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist says, God is our refuge. We use a lot of words for that, protection, shelter. But I, 
I believe that in our lives it speaks to a, a very inherent need within us. And that is to have a place of safety, a place of protection, a place of, of withdrawal that we can disconnect, we can separate, we can momentarily get away from some of the, the stresses, some of the challenges, some of the obstacles, some of the difficulties that we all face in life. A place of maybe insulation would be a way to, to understand that. And I hope you have that kind of a place. I don't think any of us have that perfect kind of place, but I think we strive to find it, and I hope you have something that is that for you. I don't want to project, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I'm going to guess I'm not alone in that for me, that place most often is our home, is, is my home. That's my place to disconnect and to, to create some necessary distance sometimes. Now, it's not perfect. We don't have a perfect family. We don't have a perfect home. But it most often is the place of my refuge. I've said before that this church has the perfect parsonage situation that I've ever encountered. Uh, those of you who know parsonage is the church home, church-owned home. That's where Tony and I and the kids live. This is about as good as it gets because the parsonage was within walking distance of the church. I can walk from home to here in a matter of minutes. But it's just far enough away that none of you can see it. And it's out of eyesight. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I'm sort of not tongue-in-cheek. It's kind of nice because it is a place of refuge. You're always welcome, most of the time. <laughs> welcome. You just got to let us know you're coming because I get in trouble if the house isn't clean and people come over. That's, that's, where, that's why the hesitancy is. If I bring you over and Tony didn't have warning, and Tony, we all do the housework, but she's the one that cares the most about it. The rest of us don't care. And... Um, <laughs> So I, I'm that's, that's the ongoing thing in our family. Tony, I'll tell you, it's like, we've got to get this place clean. I'm like, why? They won't care, but, it, but Mama cares, so we've got to get it clean. But it's, so it becomes a refuge. It really does for, for me most of the time. And I know a lot of us, that that's where our refuge is. It's our home. And I think that's part of the reason we go to such um, measures to protect our homes. You know, we want our homes to be a safe place. And I know that very often when, when folks, and, and I've been through this, and I know some of you have been through it, when our homes are, are burglarized, the, the loss of, of our material stuff, that hurts, and that can be very, very difficult, and we can lose things we value. But over and over what I hear is that it's that violation. It's a violation of our, of our space, of our place, of our safety that gets, bro so that gets broken. So we, we go to great lengths to protect our refuge. You know, we, I, I read an article, I don't know, not too long ago, but it was roughly you know, 20 things to do to make your home safe. And it was, you know, it was common sense stuff and nothing that's earth shattering. You know, good locks on the doors, outside lights. Don't let newspapers pile up in the yard when you're gone. Uh, you know, there were some things like when you're packing for a trip, don't do it so everybody can see. You know, those kind of things that we do to, to create safe places. And then we even go to links to try to fool people. Well, not people, but, but those who might violate our space. And there were things like, um, you know, put the, the signs of alarm companies on your front lawn, even if you don't have an alarm. They said put that in. And the things that we do around our fences and to kind of create our refuge. 
Tony and I and the kids were in Tallahassee this week, and I've never been really on the campus. We were up there at Florida State University, and uh, I know some of you know, we were walking around the neighborhoods surrounding the university, and it was fascinating. You see these signs of, of protection. Florida State, I don't know how many of you have been there. It's interesting walking the streets because they will have these beautiful old kind of southern homes and, and really large homes. A lot of times they were sorority houses. If you know, They had the Greek letters, and you knew it was a sorority house because it was really nice and it was really pretty. And right next to it would be the biggest dump you'd ever seen. And those were the fraternity houses. And uh, I was laughing, and I was saying to Tony, I was like, I can't imagine why anybody would live in that place like that. And she looked at me and she said, have you forgotten where you lived in college? <laughs> True. Yeah, exactly. I have forgotten. And uh, I was talking to my brother about that. He said, that's what happens when we get older. Our, you know, that's a sign of being old. You're not 20 anymore. You don't want to live in those places. But, but the, the point was, you could see the signs of protection, fences, uh, warnings about security systems. Uh, the other thing I've heard you can fool people, they say, put on your fence, uh, beware of dog. Even if you don't have a dog, or you have the most harmless dog in the world, put beware of dog. Because the whole idea is to create a space where people don't want to violate. They don't. And then people get even more creative than that. I saw one that said, uh, it was on a fence, and it had a picture of a, of a big dog, and it said, do you believe in life after death? Jump this fence to find out. <laughs> that kind of thing. The point is, we, we need a refuge, and we want to protect it, and we want it to be safe, and we want it to be a place that we feel, we feel comfortable and, and we feel uh, secure. And it's tough when those places in our lives, um, when, that, when that gets violated, when our sense of security. Yeah, remember, um, if you remember high school psychology, or maybe in college, at some point maybe you came across or you learned Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You remember that? And the very foundational human need that kind of built up. You had to, you had to have one, the base needs met in order to get to the, the more um, self-actualization and things. And the, the base need, the foundational need is for food, uh, physical needs, food, oxygen, you know, the kind of stuff to physically sustain. The second level on Maslow's hierarchy of needs was security, safety, protection. And you have to have those needs met before you can start to get into the self-growth stuff. And, and so it's tough when we start to feel less safe and less secure. And we need those words of assurance in our lives. All of us do. There was a story about a little girl who was, lived in Florida, and it was summertime. And as we get in Florida constantly, it was a late-night thunderstorm. So the thunder's crackling, and the, the sky's lighting up with the, with the lightning, and she's getting scared. And so her mom came in and sat next to her on the bed and was reassuring her, it'll be okay, baby, this is going to pass by quickly, don't worry. And she looked down, and she said, Mama, can you sleep in the bed with me tonight? And her mom said, no, baby, I need to sleep in the bed with your daddy. And she just sat there for a moment, and she got this real frustrated look on her face, and she just looked, shook her head, and she said, Mama, He's a big sissy. <laughs> Sometimes, I'll speak for me, not like a big sissy, but you feel fear. You feel that stuff whether you're 8 or you're 80. And, and life has a way, and we're inundated with that. I, I was this morning, I, this wasn't an intended sermon illustration, but uh, as I'm getting ready for church and I'd kind of 
done what I felt I needed to do. I was looking through the mail. Like I said, we'd been gone for part of the week, and so some of the mail had kind of piled up, and I, I, I just grabbed this Time magazine, the most recent, and I thumbed through it, and I opened it to the first page, which is the table of contents, right in the middle of the featured articles. And I'm just going to paraphrase the subject, or at least part of the theme of these articles. First article is about the crisis in the Middle East. And certainly as that relates to us in the threat of terrorism and the threat of violence, we have seen far, far too often. The second one is about essentially the fact that Congress can't agree on anything and gets nothing done to the detriment of the country. The third is literally titled, this is the title, The Retirement Apocalypse. And that Social Security is dwindling and within about 15 to 20 years we're going to have a crisis in that. And then the last article was about the fact that Harley-Davidson is now making an electric motorcycle, which some of my biker friends say is a sign of the apocalypse. So um, my, my point is, whether it be these issues or others, we, we can't, I think in some ways, get away from it. I mean, we see it on the news. We see it in the stories. We, we have these things that, I, at least I'll speak for me, that frighten me at times. And, and I don't have a a cure-all. I don't have a uh, theological point to make here or a, uh, a life lesson to teach that will say, if you do this, you believe this, you think this, you'll never be afraid. I, I'm, I'm not. If you know that, please share it with me. I'll pass it along. I, I don't know that. But the scriptures, and I don't really think the scriptures teach us a lesson of never experiencing fear. I think what the, te- what the scriptures teach us is through faith how we overcome that how we overcome that fear. Because fear can be very, very dangerous. When fear becomes the prime emotion of our lives, when fear becomes the the motivator, the definer, the shaper of our lives, because fear boxes us in. It limits us. We pull back. I think we end up shrinking from life and relationships and connections and opportunities. And that's what I think happens. In fear, we get boxed in and we miss our God-given opportunities. We miss the the potential and the, the blessings that are before us because we're afraid. I read about a week ago about a pair of dice that used to be displayed on a pillow in a display case in the Desert Inn, which was a, a hotel resort a casino in Las Vegas. It doesn't exist any longer. I think about 2000, in the early 2000s, it got torn down. But in this display case were the, was this pair of dice. And the legend of this, these dice was that in 1960, an anonymous sailor had come to the Desert Inn to gamble. And with this pair of dice, he rolled 27 successful winning roles at the craps table. I have no idea what makes a winning role at the, the table. No clue. Maybe you know. Um, maybe you should probably talk to me about another issue if you do. Um, <laughs> but the point is, 27 times in a row, in a row, in a row, in a row, on a roll, he won. He had the potential. That was at over 12 million to one odds of doing that. And he had the potential with those winning roles to walk away from that table with $268 million. He won $750. 
because he was afraid to risk any money. So on each roll, he just did the bare minimum. And what could have been millions amounted, you know, to a nice amount of money, but not what, what he could have had. Now, let me be real clear. I am not advocating gambling. Please do not walk out of here going, our preacher said we should go gamble and risk big. I'm not going to be responsible for that. All right, don't do that. But the application, I think, is sound, which is too often in life, we have such great opportunity, such great potential, but, but fear holds us back. We're afraid to engage because we become defined by the what-ifs and the might-bes kind of a thing. I think it's interesting that in the Scriptures, over and over, from Genesis to Revelation, you are going to encounter these words in some form or another. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Take courage. Be strong and courageous. Over and over when the people of God encountered God's messengers, when they encountered God's presence himself, when they encountered the angels, they were met with those words. Don't be afraid. Be brave. And I think part of that speaks to the fact that when we come into an encounter with the holy, it does intimidate us. It does scare us. We talked about that last week. But I think also because Almost every time that those words are spoken, they are followed by an opportunity. A God-presented opportunity. And God knows that if we embrace fear, we are going to let our opportunities pass by. So Moses, as he's leading the people, and Joshua, as they stand on the brink of the promised land, say to the people, be strong and courageous. Because if you're defined by fear, you're never going to walk into the land God's promised. The prophets look to the people over and over and they say, do not be afraid. The Psalms are full of prayers that say, do not be afraid. Jesus shows up and says, do not be afraid. The angels over and over because God knows we need courage to embrace opportunities. And when fear defines us, we shrink back. When fear defines us, what happens is God shows up and we answer in one of three ways. Not me. Not there and not now. That's what we say. Not me. That think Moses at the burning bush. Pick somebody else. Not there. Not to that place. Not to those people. Not to that opportunity. Not to this ministry. Peter, before he went to Cornelius in Acts, that was his response to God. You can't send me to those people. Not me. Not there. Or not now. Lord, I, I know you're open. This is an opportunity, but it's not a good time for me. Wait until... My kids are older. Wait until my finances are more secure. Wait until my future is more set. Not here, not me, not now. That's what happens when fear begins to define us and we miss opportunities. Fear boxes us in. The other thing fear does is it takes our eyes off Jesus. Fear takes our eyes off Jesus. I want you to hear another portion of Scripture this morning. From Matthew chapter 14. This is the miracle of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. I want you to hear this story again. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Understand, 
the boat's experiencing a storm. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, hear the words, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Why? Because his instruction is about to be followed by opportunity. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now hear it. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, now hear this, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And when he saw the wind, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. Now see, here's the interesting thing. The psalmist says, God is our refuge. In the beginning, I intentionally created an image of refuge as a place of of safety, of withdrawal, of distance, of protection. But that's not the only thing the Hebrew word for refuge means. Refuge also means a sure foundation in which to engage the challenge or the battle. It doesn't mean to withdraw from the the obstacle. It doesn't mean to withdraw from the fight. It means refuge puts you on a solid ground in which to take up the fight. When Peter saw Jesus... He stepped out of the boat onto the water. There's not a person here that was considered water a sure foundation. But water became a refuge when when Peter's eyes were on Jesus. When his eyes were on Jesus, even that water became a sure foundation. But it says when he saw the wind, and I thought that was interesting because I thought, how do you see the wind? Well, you don't see the wind. You see the result of the wind. You see the waves. You see the choppy sea. You see the boat churning. How could Peter see that? He stopped looking at Jesus. Fear, uncertainty, doubt took his eyes off of Christ. That's the danger of fear, is it takes our eyes off Jesus. And we begin to see what is around us rather than the one who is with us, for us, and before us. Fear is real. But Christ gives us a promise. And that promise is not, you know, I think it's interesting that the psalmist says, though the mountains may quake and the seas may roar. He doesn't write, God will make the mountains stop quaking and the seas settle down. He says, though they quake and they roar, God is our refuge and our ever-present help in time of trouble. Peter got out of the boat and it was still rocking. Jesus' present isn't the guarantee of calm seas. Jesus comes not to remove our obstacles, but to equip us to meet our obstacles, to meet our challenges, to find a sure foundation to take up the fight, to overcome fear. That's what we all hunger for, to overcome our fears. It's interesting, in 1933, Walt Disney released the animated film, The Three Little Pigs. You know, it was a flop. 
It was a complete flop. It bombed. But the music started to take hold. He never planned on releasing the music, and people started to demand the music. And there was one song particularly that proved to be a big hit. Anybody want to guess what it was? Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? And Walt Disney, the story goes, had to send some of his people into the theater to write down the words and the music because he hadn't kept the copies because it became such a hit. In fact, Roosevelt, President Roosevelt identified it, liked it, and I don't know that it had any influence on his famous words, but he would shortly thereafter speak those words, nothing to fear but fear itself. We know the things that we are afraid of, but we look for those opportunities, those blessings, the potential to overcome those fears. Jesus gives us that because of his presence in the midst of our storms. The ability, like Horatio Horatio Spafford would find, to write even in the midst and at the sight of his most unspeakable tragedy, it is well, it is well. I pray that we can find that, and I know that's hard. Please don't walk out of here thinking I'm making that easy. It is hard. And the challenges, and it's easy to become distracted by the seas and the mountains and the uncertainty. But our challenge is to keep our eyes on Jesus, who opens the doors, who who moves us out of those confining boxes and allows us to find a refuge, a solid ground, even on the uncertain waters. It's not about what's around us. It's who's with us. And that is Christ. Let us, brothers and sisters, keep our eyes on Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, that that would be the truth of our our faith. That our eyes would be on you, the one who is with us always. And that our hope and strength would come in your presence, not in the absence of our obstacles. We'd remind, be reminded that you give us the power to overcome because of the power of Christ that is at work within us. May this be our prayer now and always in Christ's holy name. Amen.